Lord Jesus, today we come together as the family of faith. We say that with comfort and pride, a righteous pride that you've created by way of making us a family. Lord, we recognize that we were once scattered and we were a flock without a shepherd. We were people with our own self-interests in mind. And in that spirit, Lord, we resisted you. But you sought us. You called out to us. You, you in your prevailing grace, came to find us and to call us to you. And we who have answered have taken your yoke gladly, having been forgiven of sin and given new life through the Holy Spirit, we can call ourselves the family because we made ourselves so by joining your family. And as one, we come together today, Lord, to remember all the needs that we've named and those which have been left unnamed but not unknown to you. We come with our list in hand. We come with thoughts in our hearts about people and situations. We come with words of praise and thanksgiving and with our hopes and dreams. We come seeking sovereignty from you over our earthly matters. We find ourselves frustrated with each other, unsure of what the Christian thing to do is, Lord, and we seek you to sort these matters out and to help us look at the world through kingdom eyes. Oh God, we pray with thanksgiving for the countless blessings that you give us, the many, many things that we so, so easily take for granted. We have a roof over our heads that keeps us dry in the midst of this rain. We, we, have, we have insurance to keep us from experience catastrophic loss when these things become too bad. We, we have so much to be thankful for, Lord, that we can take for granted so easily. All is your gift to us. It's all your sovereign provision. There's nothing that governs our lives is more powerful than you. And therefore, whatever we are subject to and whatever benefits we reap from these, these governing circumstances in our lives, really, it's all in your hands, ultimately. And so we give you thanks and praise for peace and prosperity, for many benefits so easily taken for granted. We remember today those who are far less fortunate and recognize that you have seen them even as you have seen us. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves and apologize for our arrogance. We humble ourselves and ask your mercy for our ignorance. And we pray that this same Holy Spirit that makes us one with you would also make us one with each other, even those who are so vastly different in so many ways that we fail to see the connection. Soften our hearts and open our minds, we pray, Lord. And finally, Lord, because Jesus has been the prime example of what we seek, it seems altogether fitting that we should pray the words that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I'm going to move my coffee cup so I can see my clock. How many of you know I got a clock up here in my little pocket? I put it there. Yeah. Doesn't mean a darn thing. We're going to read today from the scriptures. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2. How many of you know today is Pentecost Sunday in the life of the church? Good for you. Good for you. There's this thing called the Christian calendar, the church year, and it starts actually on the first Sunday in Advent. So now that you've seen my shtick a few times, you know that on the first Sunday in Advent, sometime in late November, early December, I always greet you with Happy New Year, you know, just to say something ridiculous. But in fact, the Christian year starts on the first Sunday of Advent, and it is marked by these key holy days and then separated by seasons. And uh, it's an ancient tradition that just kind of helps us to remember the high points and the most significant things that every Christian wants to track. And in that way, we are also celebrating Pentecost. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. First, by reading several, past, several verses from chapter 2 of the Acts of the Apostles. That's on page 1081 in your pew Bible, 1081. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would see one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, poured out this that you, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and Peter, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from the crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a powerful word that is, too. That's why I wanted to read the whole thing to you. Sometimes you've got to hear context. So Pentecost 
is at first a Jewish celebration, also known as the Festival of Weeks or the Feast of Weeks. And it falls around 50 days after the Passover. And it is actually a, a celebration that is marked by the first wheat harvest, but it also is, a, is a intentionally follows uh, the Passover celebration as a reminder of the covenant that God made with them through Moses and the Passover covenant. So the Passover covenant, as you've heard me describe it at other times, was the agreement that God would, through the sacrifice of the blood and the body of the lamb, pass over and his wrath would not be poured on, e on Israel as it was in Egypt. And so this was the covenant God made with them. Through the blood of an innocent, they would be forgiven and God's judgment would pass. And so this comes as a covenant renewal time for the Jew at the Feast of Weeks. But it becomes even more significant to us as Christians. In fact, I, I find it really ironic, and I've, I've probably preached this particular saying every Pentecost Sunday of my entire ministry career because I'm always baffled by the fact that we make such a big deal around Christmas, and we make such a big deal around Easter, and we rarely make any noise at all about Pentecost. And that doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem right that our chapels are filled and overflowing at Christmas time and Easter time, but on the day when God invited us to be with God and like God in the renewing of our spirits, when God did something so remarkable, it's, it's inconceivable, and we don't celebrate it at all. And I just think that's a shame. Think about it for a minute. In the beginning, God created man and woman, and the, the relationship was, was at a peaceful relationship. The book of Genesis says that they, they walked together in the cool of the evening in the garden. They were naked, but that didn't occur to them because it's sort of a, it isn't literal necessarily, but it's more of a, a statement of they had nothing to hide from God. That, that's what it really means. They had nothing to hide from God. Their relationship with God was pure. And so God, the creator father, was with them in the garden. And, and then they sinned. And at that moment, then they felt they had something to hide from God. And they covered themselves with leaves and again, it's sort of a, a, a metaphor, but it also could be literally true. And when God recognized that they had sinned, God said, well, now, now you have something to hide. In fact, I, we can't be in the same room together anymore. We can't be in the garden together anymore because of the sin. And so God covered them with the skins of animals which, by the way, is the first indication of God's plan of salvation, because in order for them to be covered with the skins of animals, those animals had to die. And so in order to cover their sin, someone had to die, and it's flesh given over to their need, and it's blood sacrificed for the sake of covering their sin. Keep that in mind as we move forward, because now God is no longer able to be in the same space with them because of sin. And so God creates a whole series of, of ways for them to interact with 
him. Because God's not giving up on him. God just can't do what God once did. Now, I know hearing the words God and can't in the same sentence doesn't really make sense. But it's about God's holiness and the fact that we've been unholy or unclean in a way that is as hard on us in God's presence as it is on God. And so for our sake, God can't be in our presence because of sin. For love of us, God can't be in our presence because of sin. And so God views us as from a distance. And God creates mechanisms and means in which there is a relationship between us and God, but it's conditional. And so that's where you get all the stories from Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and, and all the ancient Old Testament teaching about sacrifices and tabernacles and God being present but at a distance. And only, only once a year, one particular priest who was perfectly prepared in order to fulfill everything that God expressed, only that person dare enter into God's presence. And even then they tied a rope around their ankle in case they'd missed a step somewhere along the way. And they might have to reel his dead body back out of the tabernacle. So it is a really beautiful picture of how God means to interact with us despite our sin, but God has to create conditions in which we don't, we don't end up regretting that we tried to be in God's presence. It's, it's really God's love expressed, and sacrifice is always at the heart of the matter. Giving animal sacrifices and so forth was a way of saying, something has to cover your sin in order for you to be in a relationship with me. Do you understand? And then, God does the unthinkable. God comes to earth and becomes one of us. Like us in every way, yet fully God, and is tempted in every way as we are, but does not give in to sin. And in this way, the Lord Jesus is our Redeemer. Because through... I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it, and I'm probably not getting this exactly right, so call it a paraphrase, but C.S. Lewis would say that, that God does something God had never done before, something God didn't know how to do. By becoming a man, God has now the opportunity to be like us, but also has to experience what it's like to be like us like never before. And so with Jesus, we see God fulfilling something that only God could fulfill. And so at Christmas time, we celebrate that God is with us and we get all excited about how this is God becoming one of us so that we can have peace with God. And that's why we say peace on earth and goodwill to men at Christmas time. And then years later, this same God on earth, after showing us how to live in harmony with God throughout our lives, in perfect harmony with God, does something else that no one else could do. He takes upon himself the burden of our sin in such a way that he dies both physically and spiritually, that is, in a way that we can't really put into words. He suffers beyond just physical suffering for our sake. And this, though we can't explain it, is the thing that makes it possible for our sins to be forgiven once and for all. It's like the animal sacrifice taken to an unbelievable level so that there is no more need for an animal sacrifice in order to redeem yourself in God's presence. 
You simply take upon yourself the gift that Christ has given in himself as our final sacrifice. And then he does something that's unbelievable and improbable and impossible. By his own word, this same Jesus, who is God in the flesh, rises from the dead and becomes a living, resurrected form of himself that we can still encounter to this day. And as unbelievable as that is, we celebrate it just the same with great excitement and joy in the springtime as we come to church with our Sunday best and our Easter clothes and we go to the, the uh, cemetery at sunrise and so forth. And so we get that. But then this thing happens that we tend to ignore. This thing that says, now that you have been forgiven, we can be together again. That relationship that was broken because of sin is now mended because of Jesus. And this is why in all of the Apostle Paul's writing, there is an ongoing theme about adoption. He's talking about adoption constantly. Remember, he was a Jew of Jews. He was a scholar of Judaism. He understood in great detail, as any scholar would, his chosen topic. And he made it clear to people that because of Jesus, we received adoption into God's family. In other words, God not just walks with us in the garden in the evening. God has invited us into his house. God has made us part of his family. And he has done this through Jesus because, as Paul says, we've become through him co-heirs with Jesus. That is, in the same sense as Roman law would define it, Adoption meaning that you have all the rights and privileges and responsibilities as any natural born son. And in this case, it seems sexist, but what that really means is under Roman law, the son who is adopted has unlimited access to the household of the father. And so we've all been invited into that kind of relationship, whether male or female, with God through Jesus Christ. Unlimited access to the household of the Father. Now, if it stopped there, I'd say that was a pretty remarkable thing. And if we only acknowledge that at Pentecost, it would be more than worth the effort. But that isn't as far as it goes. It goes even further because after Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, I'll send you glory. Glory, in this case, is a word that literally means what it seems to, but it's referring to the glory of heaven. It means he's going to send heaven to earth, to the people who have followed him faithfully and received the redemption that only he can give. He's going to send that glory to us, meaning we're going to have a little bit of heaven in and with us. That's what happens at Pentecost. The descriptors that were used in this passage are very similar, if you pay attention, to the other times when God appears in the midst of humans. When God talks to Moses on the mountaintop, when God talks to Elijah, when God talks to Jesus on the mountaintop where the apostles witnessed it and so forth. There's always this rushing wind and, and, and something that seems like fire, when in fact it's this this gap in the fabric that separates 
space and time as we know it and the, pra- the place where God dwells. And, and so literally when they see the tongues of fire on their head, it, it, to, to me anyway, it seems like an indication that a little bit of heaven has opened up over their heads and poured into them. You know, that's the idea that God has said, not only are you welcome in my household, let's say after you die, most of us have an enthusiasm for going to heaven when we die. We are pretty readily willing to admit that that's one of the finest benefits of being Christian and a follower of Jesus, as we can be assured of heaven when we die. But, but what about while we're here? What about with our time on earth? Well, God at Pentecost gives us heaven now. We are in heaven, so to speak, when we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is by far the most underrated aspect of God's nature in most churches. And perhaps it's because we're afraid. Maybe it's because we think the Holy Spirit's going to make us do strange and mysterious things that we'd be ashamed or embarrassed to do. I don't know. I've certainly been in those churches. I've got to tell you about something that happened yesterday. Um, we were just getting ready to leave the family festival down at the soccer complex. And the, the family festival was arranged by people south of the border uh, in origin. And I say that not in disrespect, but to, to just not coin a phrase like Latinos or whatever. The people who speak Spanish and come from south of the, of the US border, who live in our community, and there's a bunch of them. And they're wonderful people. And so they put together this festival, this fiesta, as a way to say, we want to be neighbors and friends. We want to be a family in this community. We don't want to feel excluded or exclusive. And so they put this together and they invited the churches to come alongside them in this endeavor. And I'm proud that Shiloh was right there at the very beginning. We started with them and we'll see this through with them. And so our youth band sang to them yesterday and gave them a real blessing. I had the privilege of speaking a word to the group and uh, having it interpreted to anyone who didn't understand me, which you know some of you are probably wishing we had here, I'm sure. Um, thank you, sunshine. I see you over there. So this really remarkable thing happened. It was about closing time, and Laura and I were getting ready to leave to go to another thing, and this group of people who were south of the border folks, I'm not sure what their country of origin was, had come to our booth because some of their children were engaged in one of the activities we had at our booth. We had a crafting uh, booth and, and Jessica and her team were making sure all the kids had some fun making things, making little masks and things. And several of the children were there and their parents kind of gathered around them to watch them. And, and one of the moms kept looking over at Ruthie and seeing her in that power chair of hers. And, Finally, she came up to me and she said in a very broken English, she said, my name is Rosa. I want to talk to you, but I'm going to ask my friend to interpret. Do you mind? And I said, no, not at all. And so this conversation ensued where she really, really wanted to pray for Ruthie. 
She believed in her heart that she and her friends needed to lay hands on Ruthie. And then they discovered Nathan too. And they said, you know, tell us their story. What's their condition? I said, it's spina bifida. Imagine trying to translate spina bifida and myelomalindocil and all these other medical terms, you know. But I tried to explain to them basically what this birth defect was that led to their problem. And, and then they gathered and we had this big circle of people. Anglos and Latinos circled around our booth there, the Shiloh booth. If you weren't there, I'm sorry you missed this. Because this is what the sermon's about today. This happened yesterday. And pretty soon as this circle started to pray, there were voices in different languages all asking God for the same thing. For a miracle to happen, for Ruthie and Nathan to be healed right then and there. Unfortunately, that's not the answer we got. Ruthie's still the same today, as far as I can tell, and Nathan is the same today. But I saw another miracle happen there. And you probably see it now, too, in your own mind's eye. I saw the family of God. I saw brothers and sisters in the Holy Spirit. I, I saw the Holy Spirit that is one. I saw Pentecost. I saw voices raised in a common language, the language of the Holy Spirit. And it reminded me that what I'm preaching today is possible. It's entirely possible. Because we are the family of God. We really are. And the Holy Spirit is what makes us the family of God. And it's a shame, really, that we, we don't take the church family relationship to the same degree that we readily take our natural family relationships. I have to tell you another story. This one's in the notes. This was, this was about a wedding uh, reception for one of Laura's brothers that, I, that we went to several years ago. And at the reception, Laura's mother grabbed Laura and me and started dragging us around the room, introducing us to relatives we didn't know we had. Laura's mom's one of those that can tell you everybody that's related to them. And God love her, she did. She introduced us to dozens of people we didn't know that we were related to. And so she finally let us go back to our table and we were sitting there trying to relax a little. And my mother comes because my mother and dad happened to be invited to this wedding because our families have been friends for years. And, and my mother starts dragging us around the room, introducing them to, us to all these relations. You know what happened, don't you? Eventually, some of them were the same people we already met. I kid my I tease my kids about this all the time. Say, See, you're the result of what happens when cousins marry, I tell them. <laughs> well, it does turn out that we are distantly related. We're not first cousins or even second cousins. We're like 33rd cousins once removed or something like that. But it's ironic and amazing that at a gathering of people we didn't even know we were related to, there were so many people we were related to that eventually we found a connection between our families. That's what it's like to be a part of the family of God. See, it doesn't really matter where you go. If you meet a spirit-filled believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have met a sister or a brother in Christ. You know that? And it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter whether there's a language barrier. When I was in Kazakhstan many years ago, I couldn't speak Russian to save my life, but I met all kinds of believers, and we spoke a common language, a language of the Holy Spirit. And we found ourselves embracing and hugging as we prayed together, even though neither one of us really understood each other's language, we understood each other's hearts. 
That's a transformative experience, and I, I commend you to, to find that opportunity wherever you can. And it can start right here in this church family of faith. There are people that go to church here that, that maybe don't go to the same service you do. And so for that reason, you don't really know them that well. But you know what? They are your brothers and sisters. The last thing I want to say to you is basically right out of the Apostle Paul's writings all over the New Testament. Imagine that you are part of this one body, the body of Christ, and, and, and you're not an active part of that. To put it another way, imagine that you're like my daughter Ruthie and some parts of your body don't work. They don't carry their weight. They don't do their part. And for that reason, the rest of the body has to compensate. That's what I've watched with my two children with spina bifida. Parts of their body don't work and don't participate in the overall function. Now, we know why that is in their case. It's because of birth defects and physical disabilities. But we also see how their lives are actually shortened and the quality of their lives are changed because the rest of their body has to compensate for the parts that don't work. Well, Paul says it's the same way with the body of Christ. If one part of the body wants to be an eye, but it's been given to be a foot or a hand, then what would the body of Christ be like if it was all an eye? That's Paul's words and me translating them in my own way. What he wants you to understand is that if you are saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ and you've accepted that gift and then you've invited new birth through the Holy Spirit, you're part of the body of Christ and you are expected then by, by Christ to play your part in the body. And that means every spirit-filled believer everywhere, anywhere. Wherever we are on this planet, even the believers who are in that space station floating around up above the earth are part of the body of Christ and each is called to do their part. And when they don't, then they weaken the rest of the body. And you know, the body of Christ is a force to be reckoned with if it ever gets all together working in one motion and one movement. This is why I set before us a goal about two years ago, a little less than two years ago, as, uh, as, to be vital to the well-being of our community. To say, look, if we acted as one body for the well-being of our community, what would that look like? Can you imagine what would happen? Not that we would bring glory to ourselves, but that we would simply create a circumstance where the people of our community are blessed because of our unity of spirit, because of our oneness in God. Our family of faith would be as vital to this community, more so than some of the families whose names go back to the very origins of this community. Because we would carry a name that goes way beyond locality. We'd be carrying the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the coursing blood through our veins would be the blood of the Holy Spirit, and that makes us family with one another. Therefore, the apostle Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, on account of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Let us pray. Oh God, renew our minds this day, we pray. Change us forever, we ask.
so that you are glorified through our family of faith that you've made us. Help us not to ignore this word, but to take it to heart, to let it change the way we think and the way we act, and help us to let it become the governing power of our lives, your very spirit, so that we are one body giving you glory through our family that changes the world by being vital as witnesses through words and deeds to our Father in heaven. Amen.